You know, I, uh, I watched a documentary. It was a rerun, but it was interesting. Um, it was a documentary on the Discovery Channel of two major disasters. And it's interesting because this particular documentary was not focused on the disasters themselves, but it was on the responses of the people to the disaster. And as you can well remember, it was Hurricane Katrina and the tsunami in Southeast Asia, which happened a couple of years later. And what was interesting was they compared how similar they were in the scope about the same loss of life, approximately 3,000 people died in both natural disasters. And there was also very similar loss of money and, and property in both places, tremendous loss of businesses and homes and uh, source of wealth and, and, and just tremendous loss on both sides. Of course, we were all more familiar with what happened during Katrina. But the, the comparison between the two disasters stopped right there. And they began to focus the majority of the documentary on the responses of the people. And it was amazing to me because they focused on how in Southeast Asia, person after person kept talking about how grateful they were that they were spared. Grateful that they didn't lose more family members. And one person uh, lost two family members, but they were so grateful they didn't lose any more because they knew people that had lost their entire family. And others lost their home, but they had their family. They were so grateful. And on and on it went, and then they jumped to Katrina. <laughs> and you already remember the response and how the response was so much focused on why didn't somebody come get me? Why didn't someone save me? Why didn't someone stop this? Why did the government let this levy break? Why did this happen? Who did this? It was all on blame. Who did this? Who did that? Mad at the government, mad at this person, mad at that person, this person. It was unbelievable. The comparison was, you couldn't, and, and they focused on that. And the, the guy that was doing the commentary uh, to everything, he made this statement. And, of course, he was speaking as an American then. He said, where in the world did we become such a nation of whiners and complainers? Where did we get this? You know, he was kind of talking to himself there. He wasn't really expecting an answer. But I thought the same thing. What has happened in our nation to where the focus has gotten off of thanksgiving to God for what he has done? And all the focus was on what people, government, whoever it was, that what they didn't do. And it was not on God. And this morning we're going to begin a series, a series on 
I call it first things first. I like to have several messages on just lining things up, make sure we get first things first. We understand principles. And I think the principles we're going to deal with this morning have to do with the response of Americans. Because by and large, we've stopped seeing God as the one who's our provider. We stopped acknowledging that He's our source. And because we stopped seeing God as the source of all things, and now we've begun to see government or maybe somebody else as the source. And you see, everything has to do with who do we see as our source? Who is our provider? Who's the owner of all things? The Bible says the whole earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God is the owner of all things. And He is the provider of all things. And as I mull that question over and over, where did we, where did we get off track as, as a nation? How did we become this way? One thing jumped out at me. Why is it we don't want to see God as our provider? Very simply. We do not want to be accountable to God. That's the problem. You see, you don't want to see God as your provider because if you see God as your provider, then you're accountable to God. And so I want to talk to you this morning about what the Bible refers to as biblical stewardship. And, and it's kind of funny. My wife and I talked about this, uh, just the title, the name, stewardship. And she said, are you sure you want to call it stewardship? And I said, well, why not? And she said, well, it's, you know, a lot of people don't even understand the word stewardship. And I agree with that. It's not a real common term. A lot of people don't even use it. But we need to. Because the truth of it is, God is the source, the provider. And as a result, we are now stewards of all that He has blessed us with. It all belongs to God. And we are now stewards of all that He has blessed us with. And that is the principle of biblical stewardship that has to begin in our heart and it has to get into our minds. We see God as the provider and we see ourselves as stewards. Stewards means it doesn't belong to us. Everything belongs to God. He blesses us. We acknowledge Him as the one who blesses us. And now we are accountable to God. To be a steward of all that he's done for us. Everything he's done. And when I say stewardship, that means we are to be stewards of everything in our life. If you're thinking money only, you need to kind of broaden your understanding. You're to be a good steward of your family. God's given you a family. You need to be a good steward of that. Your marriage, you need to be a good steward of that marriage. Your health, you need to be a good steward of that health. Your finances, you need to be a good steward of that finances. Your talents and abilities and gifts, you need to be a good steward of 
everything God has blessed you with. So if you're thinking stewardship only has to do with money, you're thinking way too narrow. That's just one area of our life that we're to be stewards. And we see God as the one who's given us talents. We see God as the one who's given us our children. God is the one who's given us our marriages and our homes and our families. Everything we have has come from Him. And because of that, we are now accountable to God and we're to be a good steward. So I want to talk about some simple issues. The very first one I've said several times I want to kind of emphasize, and that is let's think about God is our provider. God is our provider. Genesis twenty-two fourteen. I want to read that to you. It says in verse 14, Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Remember the context of this? Abraham was called to sacrifice his own son, Isaac, his only son. And he got all the way up there, even got the knife up. And the Lord provided a ram instead of his son. And it follows up by saying, they named that place. The Lord will provide. Actually, it, it, the, the literal meaning of Yahweh, Yara, is a little different. Because it actually means the Lord sees a need. And then he meets the need. That's actually what literally the word in the Hebrew means. The Lord sees the need and he meets the need. And we have to develop a mentality, a thinking, to know that God is at work in our life. And, and what God is doing is he is always looking to see your needs. And that's why I believe God sees your needs before you even figure out what they are. He's ahead of you. You wake up one day and say, oh, God, I need this. God was already aware that you had that need. You just finally figured it out. God was already aware. And God was already working on being the provision. He was waiting for us to figure out we had that need. And he was waiting for us to ask. But he was also going to test our heart to see if we trusted him as our provider you see i believe the whole thing with uh, abraham getting isaac all the way up there and a lot of people say well it was to test abraham to see if he had real faith well yeah that's true but you know what he was really testing he was testing abraham's heart he was testing Abraham's heart to find out if Abraham believed that God would provide. Later on, if you read back in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, it says Abraham was fully convinced that God, if necessary, could raise his son back to life. God was able to take care of this situation no matter what. He was willing to carry it out. 
And of course, he drew his knife back and God said, stop, Abraham. Don't you dare touch that boy. That was never in question. The question was, Abraham, will you trust me to be your provider? And my question to you today, do you trust God to be your provider? And maybe you have been through some battles where it seems like there's a lot of lack. Have you ever been through those times? A lot of lack. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Nothing in the bank account? Does that relate to you? Lots of bills and not much coming in? It's in times like that, God wants to know, do you trust Him to be your provider? It's in times like that when you're going through a battle, whether it's a physical battle, healing, family problems, marriage, your children. I don't care what the battle is. I don't care what the problem is. God wants to know, do you trust Him to be your provider? And it's in times like that when it looked like, you know, I don't know what in the world's going to happen. God says, will you trust me to be your provider? Once you settle that in your heart, it's amazing how God wants to work in your life. If you believe someone else is your provider, like they did in the documentary where everybody believed the government was their provider. They were frustrated, and they were confused, and they were angry. I want to tell you, you can stop trusting and worrying and thinking the government is the one to trust. If you haven't figured it out by now, they're not someone that's going to be your provider. God is your provider. And if you will trust Him to be your provider, you will never be ashamed. You will never be let down. God will always take care of you. But just understand, if you go through trusting in other things, the government, whoever, whatever it is, if you start leaning toward looking to those other things or other entities to be your provider, God will say, okay, you think that's your provider? Okay, good. Go ahead. Trust. See how they come. You see, I think God will let things fall in your life. He will let things come crumbling down if you trust in them. If you put your hope and your trust in those things, those things are come falling down. Just so that you will learn, they will never sustain you. Kind of interesting, you'll go back, remember the ten plagues of Egypt? It's interesting because each of those ten plagues were the gods... That the people of Egypt trusted in. They trusted in the sun. God shut it off and made darkness. They, you know, every area, they, they worshiped the Nile River as the source of all life. He turned it to blood. Everything that he dealt with was something they worshiped and depended upon and thought of as a God. And God was saying, what? I'll show you that's not a God. He was God over all their little gods that were not gods at all. And God will do the same thing in your life. If there's some things you're trusting in, He may let those fall. He may let those things come tumbling down. Just so that 
you will learn to see him as your provider. Don't be surprised when some things come falling down. Things come crashing down. And you say, Lord, what's going on? Perhaps the answer is God wants to see, he wants you to see him as the provider. The second thing I want to talk to you about, and that is, and this is a very important part of biblical stewardship, do not waste. Do not waste what God has given you. A couple of verses, one in Proverbs 20, excuse me, I believe it's verse 20, uh, chapter 21, verse 20, says this, There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. Another uh, verse in Proverbs 18, it's 18.9, it says, He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. And some of the translations, instead of using the word destroyer, it says a great waster. You're lazy, you waste a lot of things. You see, America has, we're number one in this area of the world. And that is we throw away more trash than most other nations produce. We throw away more food than most of the other nations of the earth combined produce. We are a wasteful nation. And the reason we're wasteful is because we don't treasure and appreciate what we have. And one reason is they have been given. Many people have been given things. I've learned that things that I work hard for, I tend to take care of. I had to work hard for it. I take care of it. But if someone gave it to me, eh, not so much. So we need to learn in God's economy of stewardship. He calls us to be a good steward. And that simply means don't waste. And also, I guess that entails when you're talking about finances, it means making sure your money goes the full distance. How many of you love a good deal? God loves a good deal. He loves you to be a good steward of your finances, to get the most out of your finances. Don't just spend your money for the first thing that comes up. Make sure your money's spent well. Get the most value for your money. Don't waste your money. And it is a mentality, it's an attitude. If we're going to be stewards of all that He's blessed you with, don't, lo- don't waste it. You know, I thought about this in context of marriage. I was talking to a, to a man a while back, and he's talking about his marriage. And he had talked about how his wife had left him, children had left him, and he was lonely and he was hurting. And I, and I, I felt for him as I understand the pain that comes with that sense of loss. And I and I didn't I wasn't going to say a whole lot more than that other than just identify but he said this. He said, you know, I didn't appreciate my wife or my children. I didn't take care of them. I didn't appreciate them. 
I had a good marriage and I just wasted it. I thought other things were so important. And I focused on those, but I certainly didn't focus on my marriage. And now it's gone. And I thought the principle of wasting and losing is true. You don't appreciate what you have. Don't be surprised when you lose it. Don't be surprised if you lose those things that you have not appreciated. What, is, what should it do? It should teach you to appreciate everything you have. Treasure every day you have. Treasure it with all of your heart. The most powerful parable Jesus gave us was in Matthew 25. And I want to read to you just the last verse of that parable. It's in verse 29, 25, 29. This is what Jesus, he wrapped up the parable. It's the parable of the talents. He said, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, and I guess the implied idea here, but from those who do nothing with what has been given to them, even what little they have will be taken away. Remember the story? Remember the parable? Guy gave out five talents, gave out two talents, and then he gave out one talent. And then the guy came back after a time, and he said, okay, what have you got? And the guy who had five talents, he said, I have five more. I've invested, done what you've asked me to do. I've made five more. And here's the response. Jesus says, well done, you good and faithful servant. You've been faithful and little. You will be a ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your salvation. Then the second guy, what did you do? He said, I had two. I made two more. What was the response? Exactly the same. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful and little. You will be made ruler over much, enter into the joy of your salvation. So even though they made, they were given less or a little different, and even though they made a little less, the response, the result was the same. And then came the guy with one. He said, okay, what'd you do? He said, well, I tell you, I heard rumors that you are a hard guy. You're, you're a mean and ornery guy. And, and, and you have a tendency to get things that you really hadn't worked for. So I was afraid of you. So I just dug me a hole and I stuck that one in the hole. And when I heard you're coming back, I pulled it out and here's, here it is. I got the one left. And he said, Oh, you wicked servant. Wicked servant, throw him into the outer darkness, for you're worthless, useless. And then comes this verse 29. And all of that was a parable, 
But the point of the parable was verse 29. And so how do we apply this in our life? And that is, you need to appreciate what you've been given, and you need to make the most of what you've been given. You need to be a good steward of what has been given, and you need to not hide the blessings that God has given you. If you've been given a talent, you need to use that talent and use it for the kingdom of God. Use it for the glory of God. Don't waste what God has given you. Make it count for His kingdom. And really, what you've been given is not the issue. It's not like those who've been, you know, given a great deal, they're going to get a whole lot more, and those who haven't been given as much. No, we enjoy the reward, no matter what we've been given. The wicked thing is when you do nothing with what God has given you. That's a danger. Because you're proving that you're not interested in being a good steward. And when you're not a good steward, it's you're saying to God, I am not accountable to God. God is not my provider. I'm not going to be accountable to God. I fear you. I don't love you. And so therefore, I'm going to do nothing with what God has given me. You see, I'm a firm believer that God has given every person in this room gifts and talents and abilities and unique things that God has given only you that you can use to make a difference in this world, make a difference for the kingdom of God, that you can reach people I will never reach. You can impact the lives of people I will never be able to impact or other people can impact. God has gifted you with certain gifts that are special and unique. And He expects every one of us to be a good steward of what He's given us. And and I tell my staff this all the time. It is our responsibility as the staff, as pastors... To see those gifts and talents and abilities and do the most that we can to help them use and utilize those talents and abilities for the kingdom of God. That's what we want to do. Be able to do that. So I would encourage you. Don't waste what God has given you. And I'll just say this for your children. If you are parents here today and you have children, your children grow up quick. All the parents whose kids have grown up and left the house, you know what I'm talking about. Those times where your kids are young, oh my, that time goes quick. And then they're gone. Make use of that time. Treasure the days you have with your children. And treasure the time you have with your grandchildren. What a glorious thing, grandchildren. You know, grandchildren are great. You know the great thing about grandkids? They go home. (laughs) After two or three hours, they go with someone else. When you've reached about all you can handle of those treasure, precious treasure and love. And then you say, isn't it time for y'all to go home? And they go home and it's great. And then it's great to see them come back and you're so excited. It's this God 
You know, no wonder he gives you kids when you're little. I mean, when you're young. Because then you get older and you get tired and you can't handle it. Sound like I'm old. I don't know what I'm talking about. What you squander and neglect, you lose. What you treasure and take care of grows and is blessed. And if you refused to be a good steward of all that God has blessed you with, do not expect Him to bless you with more. Everybody's talking about God blessing them. Well, I want to tell you, if you want God's blessing, be a good steward of what you have. Be a good steward of what you have. And you will see God bless you with more. Last thing I want to talk to you about, and that is prepare for an accounting. And this kind of runs with the whole idea that people tend to, they tend to not want to have, be accountable to God. One of the reasons they don't want to be accountable to God is they don't want to think about an accounting. An accounting is the day when you have to answer for what you've done. All of us will give an account before God. And I want to clear up a misconception today. I want to make sure you get this in your heart and get it right. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.10, excuse me. 2 Corinthians 5.10 it says this in verse 10. It says, for we must, there it is. Okay, I've got it written down. I'm going to read it. It says, verse 10, 2 Corinthians 5. For we must, there it is. Thank you, Lord. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now, a lot of people see a misconception on this verse. This is, this is a verse that tells us we will all stand before Christ. Who is he talking to? Because really, we're either believers or non-believers. We're born again or we're not born again. So who is this? This is talking to believers. We will all give an account. We will all stand before the judgment seed of Christ. That's the judgment that we will all stand before. And for believers. And I know it says good or bad. But we need to understand that there are so many verses that tell us that we're going to give an account for our life. And it is not talking about heaven or hell here. We're not talking about a decision of whether you're going to go to heaven or we're going to go to hell. That's not the judgment that it's referring to. It is talking about the rewards or the lack of rewards. The blessings for what we've done in obedience to God or the lack that we've missed for not obeying God. So for every believer, we are going to stand. I believe, personally, from what I can understand in the, in the text uh, of, of the Scripture, that the very first thing that happens to you and me and every other person, when you die, I believe that's first on the road. First on the ticket. You stand, or maybe even more appropriately, you kneel before Jesus. And you're at the judgment seat of Christ. We get another picture of it. It's in, look at it here. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10 
through 15. Here we go. It says, because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, Jesus Christ. Now, here's the comparison. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw. Now, here's referring to the judgment day. And again, it's the same day, the same judgment seat of Christ. For on that judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flame. So, same judgment seat of Christ, just a little different aspect of it. The truth of it is, as a believer... You will give an account for your life. Did you make your life count? Did you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and make be a good steward of all that God has blessed you with? Did you stand up for Jesus? Did you share your life with Jesus? Or did you live a barely minimum Christian life where you just, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I believe in Jesus. Hallelujah. And then live a carnal life. The picture here is that what you've done will just be burned up. Have no account. You'll be saved. You don't go to hell. You don't go to enthroned in the lake of fire. You're saved from that, but just barely. I don't know about you. I don't want to just be barely saved. (laughs) I don't want to just be barely making it. I want Jesus to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with what I gave you. Enter into the joy of your salvation. Enjoy the rewards of what you've done, faithful. Now, there is another judgment. And this is not the judgment seat of Christ. And this also is referred to. And it's described totally different. It's in Revelation chapter 20. I want you to see it. Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15. And it's a judgment. It's a judgment seat, but it's totally different than the two I've just described which was really just one. This is the judgment for all non-believers, all who have rejected Jesus. It says, I saw a great white throne. And I think the white is simply the picture that no blood, the blood of Jesus is not here. Just holiness and judgment. Great white throne judgment from the one sitting on it, the earth and sky fled from his presence and They found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Verse 13. Then the sea gave up the dead and the death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death. And the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. 
So this is, this is a whole lot different as far as the judgment. This is the great white throne judgment. And, and if you're a little confused on the book, because it refers to the book of life being there. And then it talks about these other books being there. You say, well, what are those books? And why is all that there? My personal opinion, the books, plural, it's recorded every time you had an opportunity to give your life to Jesus. Every chance you had to receive Jesus. Every time a preacher preached, whether it's on TV or at church, every time someone witnessed to you at work, every time someone told you about Jesus, Every time you were given an opportunity to acknowledge Jesus as the Lord of your life, but you said, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to live my life my way. I don't want to surrender. I don't want to be accountable to God. I'm going to do my own thing. Every time you did that, I believe it's recorded. So on this day, Revelation 20, the book of life is opened. And the books that I believe record every chance you ever had to receive Jesus and get your life right with God. You say, well, why is the book of life there? Because you know what's going to happen? Somebody's going to be at that great white throne. And they're going to figure out this is the place where they're thrown into the lake of fire for eternity. And they're going to say, oh, 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 this is a mistake. I went to church. I was a good person. I even gave $12. You don't understand. My name should be in that book. And the book of life will be opened. And the angels say, no, not there. And he'll say, why? Why is my name there? I was a good person. I was as good as anybody else. Then the books will be opened. And I don't know if it'll be like this or not, but I kind of imagine. I figure if the NFL can do this, I figure God can do it. It's going to be like instant replay. God's going to say, hit it, man. Whoever's in charge of the technical department in heaven. going to say, hit it. And this big screen's going to light up. And that man who is saying it's not fair, my name surely should be there because I'm a good person. He's going to see an instant replay. Every church service they were ever in. Every person that ever witnessed to them. Every opportunity they ever had to get their life right with Jesus. And they walked away. Every chance they cursed God. Every chance they blasphemed His name. Every time they laughed at God and His ways. Every time they had an opportunity to get their life right with Jesus. But it was always something else. Here's a short essay by Robert Hastings. Named The Station. Interesting reading. In that essay, it's a story of a man who's on a train. 
And he's sitting in a seat. Train is filled with people. And all the things are going by. They're looking out the windows and they're seeing light go by. And mountains and the fields and people waving. And all kinds of stuff going on outside. And he's waving. And he's thinking, boy, this is great. Then he starts talking with all the people on the train. And everybody on the train starts talking about the station. And he finally figures out that the station is the place where they're finally going to get to when things are going to be great. One person will say, when I get to the station, oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to be happy and we're going to be successful. Everybody had their own definition of the station. And then he realized, as he went from car to car, he came to the sudden realization that there was no station. That everybody was living their life thinking about when this happened. Then they would be happy. When I, and you probably remember this, when you were a kid, when you were 8 or 10, you couldn't wait to be when I was a teenager. And then when you're a teenager, I can't wait till I get married. And then you get married, and I can't wait till I have kids. And then you can't wait till you get that house. And when you get the house, you can't wait till I retire. And then when you retire, you can't wait to be a kid again. And as you read this story, the reality comes true. There is no station. The joy of life is every day. It says it in Psalms 118. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in this day. I will make the most of this day. Stop worrying and thinking about that whenever. Then I'll be happy. No. Be happy today. Make your life count today. I've heard people say, you know, when I get my act together, then I'm going to come to church. I'm going to get my life right with God one of these days. I'm going to come back to God one of these days. One of these days. I'm going to feel like really straightening up and getting my life right. No. No. Forget one of these days. Forget the station. Today. Stop worrying about when you get that new Mercedes. Or you get that perfect job. Truth of it is, the joy of life is in every day. It's the joy of that day. And when you find God and you make Him Lord of your life, every day you get up is joy. Every day. So make your life count today. Stop worrying about next week, next year, ten years from now. Make it count today. If you've been one of those saying, you know, I... I've heard you, Brother Renee, talk about getting born again. I've talked, 
heard you talk about making him Lord, but, you know, I just don't see any need. Well, I'm going to tell you, there is an accounting for all people. If you're a believer, you'll stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. And you'll answer to him what you did with your life and were you a good steward. If you're a non-believer here today and you've never made Jesus your Lord, and you're waiting for some day, then you will stand before a holy God at the great white throne judgment. And it will be too late. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Lord of heaven's armies. Lord of all lords. King of all kings. The God who created us. Blessed us. Our creator, our provider. Oh, Lord, you are the one today. You're the one who got us here today. You're the one who put it in our hearts to be in church today. And now, Lord, I ask by the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit that you're probing every heart, every life, men and women, children, teenagers, All of this room, they've been putting off the decision that is more important than any other decision they've ever made. And that is the decision to be born again. The decision to make you Lord. The decision that today they would give their life to you. And begin to make their life count for you. Today, Lord. Not next week. Not next year, today. Behold, today is the day of salvation. If you want to be a good steward of your life today, give your heart to Him. and Begin to allow Him to live in your life and you will find the joy of every day. I'm going to ask you if every person in here, if you'd stand to your feet. And as you stand to your feet, if you would, you would say, Brother Nate, today, I'm one of those people that I need Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand. Anybody, you need to make that decision today. Not next week, but today. You need to make Him Lord of your life. Anybody? Anybody, just raise your hand. And ask the worship team we're going to sing. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart. I'm going to ask you to make your way out of your seat. Come right down here. I want to pray with you. If you're willing to make that decision today, I'm going to ask you to come and say, Today, you want to take care of this. Yes. Anybody else? Yes. Don't put this off for another day. Make this decision today while there's still time. You come today. Yes, come on. Yes, fear of the Lord. Yes, come on. Anybody else? Thank you, young man. Yes, come on. Anybody else? 
today. Make him the Lord of your life today. Don't put this off. Don't say it's some other day, but today get your life right with him. I'm going to wait just a moment. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Yes. Anybody else? Amen. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Speak words true. Bless your heart. Thank you for coming. Here's my heart. Thank you for coming, young man. All right, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to pray with you. We're going to ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. This is not joining a church. This is becoming born again by the Spirit of God. This is asking Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. This is heaven or hell. This is far more than than a church. This is a decision of a surrender to your life, to Jesus. And you know what's amazing? By praying and being sincere with God today, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's right. The angels are right up there in heaven today. They've got the Book of Life open, and they've got the pen open. They got it ready. And they see you. They know who you are. They know your name. They know it. I don't know it, but they know it. And they're ready to write your name. All you need to do. The Bible says you believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth Jesus Christ. And you shall be saved. So we're going to believe it. But we're going to confess it. So let's pray it out loud. Ready? You can pray with me out there if you want to. Pray it out loud. Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus. I confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I acknowledge the blood of Jesus is forgiveness for my sin. You cleanse me by your precious blood. I give you my heart. I give you my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Come live inside of me and cause me, Lord, to be born again, a brand new person. Write my name down in the book of life. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Woo!